News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR on News Talk. Emergency department congestion is a symptom of a wider system imbalance and is not caused by nor fixable within emergency departments themselves. That's according to a new HSE update on their winter plan. And Damien McCallion, Chief Operating Officer with the HSE, joins us now. Damien, with respect, that's all very well and good. But can you answer this simple question? When will we see an end to people waiting 116 hours on trolley, as we heard in the HICWA report that was released yesterday, or as we heard earlier on from a guest on News Talk Breakfast, 60 hours on a chair in A&E? Good morning, Kira. And look, we, we certainly don't want anyone in our staff who are working in emergency departments don't want people to have those sort of experiences. I guess where, where we're at at this point in the year is we are seeing a surge coming into the winter. We know that's expected. It is higher than normal in terms of the attendances this year, which are up over 7% on 2019, which is the last sort of year, Kira, that we can look at, I suppose, as a reliable barometer given the, the pandemic. And particularly as well in terms of older people, uh, where we're seeing attendances you know, close to 15% and admissions over 10%. So our system is certainly under strain and, and people are working hard to try and address it. Uh, a couple of points, if I may. So in terms of preventing it, I suppose, and trying to uh, make this period as best we can, because as you know, this is a very busy period as we move through Christmas. We will see the system sort of shrink a little as we come into the, the Christmas Day period. But post-Christmas, then the system does come under strain for, for all the obvious reasons. So we're seeing an increase in flu. It's a little bit earlier this year. And we have the other concern this year in terms of COVID as well, both in terms of the impact on those vulnerable people, but also in terms of our own staff who are critical to keep the system going. So that curve is starting to go up on our Health Protection Surveillance Centre track that on, on a regular basis. So that is one of the reasons that we we ran the con- press conference yesterday, but also why we're putting our system on high alert post-Christmas because of the risk of those two uh, viruses together causing uh, even more excessive strain on the system. So key measures for us are, one is in terms of vaccination, and we have a good uptake on flu, but we're looking to encourage those people over 65, yep. uh, a much lower uptake on COVID. Uh, and we're really pushing hard for those people who are vulnerable and for healthcare workers, really important in both the public and private sector that people get vaccinated. Our research isn't suggesting uh, a fundamental resistance to that. It's, it's simply a timing issue. And perhaps because of the change, thankfully, in many ways with the pandemic, people are see the threat as less so. But we are really concerned going into the new year, both for people themselves okay. and for healthcare and, workers and I, as I well. fully understand that. that, 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 that I know it's not really a twindemic, but that combination COVID and flu I'm sure is of significant concern but it is also predictable and we have also had problems in winter every single year whether we were pre or post COVID and so whether it was flu outbreaks or other outbreaks we know this we know about our ageing population those demographics we know all of this it's all very well and good to tell me what you're doing but but people would really like to know what is the HSE plan for for an end in sight? When when is it? Is it twenty twenty five? Is it is it March twenty twenty three? Can you say when we will see an end to these people who are literally terribly unwell because they're in an emergency department and are are sitting there for days on end on trolleys and on seats in in totally unsuitable conditions, fluorescent lights, people drunk beside them, fighting all all of that, no privacy, no dignity. When are we going to see an end to this? Other systems don't have this, Damien. There has to be some plan to end it. 
Yeah, so so I think there's, they're looking at this, Kira, in three ways. I guess, firstly, in the short term, what we can do going into what's a pressurised period. We know this is a 12-month-of-the-year issue as well. We should say that we know it gets particular pressures in, in the winter, as I've just described. But it is a year-round challenge, and we accept that in terms of our demography and our age, our population will age further over the next 10 or 15 years, and that will bring even more pressure. So in the short term, the things we do in this period are trying to extend and prevent, you know, avoid people having to attend EDs through extending uh, our GP out of hours in terms of capacity, extending some of our community services, looking in the hospital, investing additional resources and helping flow. Because ultimately, as you said at the start, the emergency department pressures are a result of wider movement within the system, the need to get people admitted, to get people discharged and to avoid people ultimately even having to present TD in the first place where they can get other services. And we know our GPs, okay. for example, can are I, also can under I pressure. Can I ask you Did, about flow for a moment? Because you're exactly right, and you're exactly right that the emergency departments themselves are not the reason that there are people in, in, on those trolleys is because there's nowhere for them to go. So what is being done, for example, to move people who are in, in, in acute hospitals into long-term beds? Because there is a significant cohort of people who need to do that. And also we have a system, and you and I both know it, where we prioritise inpatient for diagnostic tests. And what it actually means is we end up keeping somebody in a bed for five days because they need an echocardiogram or something like that. Whereas if we just gave an urgent scale, whether you were an inpatient or an outpatient, you could discharge people more quickly. These are age-old problems within the health service that aren't being tackled. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a capacity constraint. So what I would say, Kira, on the patient flow, there's a number of things that we've done in the short term and indeed in the medium term to, to try and improve this. So in the short term, we increase the access to what's called transitional care, where people can be discharged for hospital for a period of convalescence or rehab through the winter period. So there's significant investment there. We also invest in, in private hospitals, which allows us to discharge some patients as well for post-acute care. So there's a range of investments to try and support okay. earlier discharge. How many people, people currently in our acute hospitals are waiting long-term bed care, uh, long-term care beds? So typically on, on a given day, you will have around 600 people in the system yeah. and can rise up or down from their care, of which about half of those would be for residential care. Some okay. of those may be appropriate 600 for 600 people. Care. Damien is a whole hospital. It's a whole, you know, it's the equivalent of a whole hospital. We just spent two billion building the National Children's Hospital. We have ability to free up a whole hospital full of beds around the country, spread out nicely around the country, if we simply moved people out into long-term care. If we simply facilitated that and financed that at a much smaller figure than two billion euros. Why isn't that being done? We've known this forever. And that's why, Kira, we are investing in terms of the increasing the step-down access and increasing our capacity in long-term care as well. There are challenges, as we know, in the nursing home sector. That's one of the challenges that's there. What, what I should say in terms of that 600, the number itself is obviously important. What's more important is that the patients within that number change every day. So in other words, if I'm there today and I can be moved later in that day or tomorrow morning, the flow is continuing. So what we track is not just the number, but how long someone is delayed in terms of the transfer to care, either for home care or for residential care, or as I say, for transitional okay. care. So we are investing. Many of in them are areas. there for months, and we both know that there are many of them are, are, are sitting in those beds for months, which is the, an, an inappropriate use of resources. Lastly, what I said to you about the diagnostics, that's another huge block to people getting out of hospital, which is forcing people to stay on those trolleys. Why can't we have a system where there's an urgent scale? So if you need a test, it doesn't matter whether they send you home, you won't lose your place on the waiting list because we're keeping people in hospital beds just to get a CT scan, but they don't get the CT scan for six days and they sit there. They, I mean, that makes no sense. There's no common sense to that plan. No, I agree, Kira. but what we have done there, and this is an important measure that's been very successful, 
over the last two to three years, we've invested heavily in community care diagnostics for GPs, which opens up capacity in hospitals then for inpatient and outpatient diagnostic. Over a quarter of a million people, or the highest number ever from our community diagnostics through GPs referral, are now going through that system. And we're looking to grow that even further. It's been really successful. And what that does, it prevents people having to go into hospital right. just to get a referral for diagnosis, but also in terms of keeping our inpatient system moving. Okay. If I might just uh, make one, one final point, Kira, just on your question earlier. Like we are also looking at the long term. So we're not just looking at the winter. We're also looking at capacity. What do we need to grow in terms of our long term care, private and public home care, what we need to invest in and trying to map out that capacity sure. for the future. So as you say, and I we do understand what, 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 what you're doing and, and lots of good things are being done. But nonetheless, it seems to me neither yourself nor anyone else is able to answer that first question I asked you. When will we see an end to these people on trolleys? Well, I, I don't think you can set an absolute date. What, what we're saying here is this, and every system, like most systems, have a level of pressure. Clearly, we have, we have undue pressure beyond perhaps other systems at certain times in the year. But there are other systems under huge okay. pressure. The NHS is under massive strain at the moment as well. But what right. I'm setting out, I guess, look, in the short term, we've put in measures to try and alleviate the pressures in this particular period. And we really do not want people, and nor do our staff want people delayed. In the medium term, we're investing in things that we can do quickly, like the community okay. diagnostics. No, you've made like those points, and I do, I, and I do absolutely accept them. By the way, I know, I know that you're doing those things. It, it just on the ground for people who are struggling in the A and E's. It's still a very difficult scenario, as as you are aware. But look. Thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. We do appreciate it this morning. That is Damien McCalley and their Chief Operating Officer with the HSE. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on News Talk.